Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, and today I am joined by Jabari Davis. You've probably heard him before on Dunks and Discourse. Uh, he hosts that podcast with Josh Eberly. He's a phenomenal follow on Twitter, and uh, I, you know, I always enjoy uh, whenever I get to, to discuss, you know, whether it's movies or uh, obviously basketball, anything going on on TV, and recently The Wire. Um, Jabari, how are you doing today, man? Hey, Mark, I, I, I'm doing well, and I really appreciate you, uh, not only you having me, but I appreciate you know, that you followed and we've started to interact on Twitter. You're a great follower as well. Yeah, man, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. Uh, so, you know, I brought you in today. Obviously, we're going to talk about a whole myriad of things, but, uh, I mean, you are you, born and raised in, in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, born and raised a Lakers fan. So, uh, you know, I was born and raised a Pacers fan. I'm obviously a little bit on the younger side. I wasn't exactly around to watch the 2000 finals, but I've been able to go back and piece everything together. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to come together today and we can just kind of have uh, some pretty broad discussions about the 2000 finals and the season and everything going on around there with uh, the Lakers and Pacers. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I had forgotten that that was going to be the, the specific uh, you know, twist to it. I'm always game, <laughs> always, always game to be able to talk 2000 finals because, you know, to be honest with you, while obviously the Lakers won, that was a better series than a lot of people you know, uh, seem to give credit for. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's, that's what's really interesting to go back and look at. Um, Especially because you know when you're when you're looking back at everything, maybe Ryan Ryan Hollins might say that the you know three championships in three years was a potentially a failure. I don't know. Uh, he's been <laughs> popping off lately, but uh, I mean, uh, obviously it's the start of the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, and it's Reggie Miller's first time at, at first crack at the finals, first and only crack at the finals. Um, and you know when you go back and and look at these series, it's kind of wild to look at how we got here you know I mean the the Pacers play three really tight series coming in uh, almost lose to to the Bucks in, in the first round uh, with uh, with young Ray Allen uh, the Sixers in the second round with young AI so you know, I mean Sixers and Bucks play in the Eastern Conference Finals the next year and then uh, they they beat the Buc- the Knicks in the conference finals to close out I believe that is the last time that they uh, they play the Knicks in, in, a, in a tightly contested playoff series for a while um, and then obviously the Lakers, uh, they, they kind of stumble out the gates. If I remember correctly, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like, I mean, they were more, more than expected to handle the Kings. This was kind of the, the Kings first real, uh, really competitive team with, with Chris Weber, right? Yes. It, they, they would have been expected to, but the thing of it is with this, you know, it, it's funny. You mentioned that was a start of Shaq and Kobe. Truthfully, remember that was year either four or five of Shaq and Kobe. Mm-hmm. So, the, the backdrop of this is they they've been you know great individually obviously they've had they've had you know some success together but they were <laughs> the first four years it was you know year after year after year of you know, postseason you know disappointment um, this was their first run with 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 Phil well they may have won sixty plus games I think it was like sixty seven games in a regular mm-hmm. season this was their first playoff run so it, there was a lot of still figuring things out you know for you know, for that group yeah definitely. Um, so you, you go five games against the Kings and that's still when it's a five game series in the first round, which is wild for me to think about. Cause that's never been a thing. <laughs> well, I've been watching basketball, um, almost sweep the suns in the second round. And then, uh, Howard Beck just had an awesome, awesome article, um, d- diving into the series. I believe it was last week or two weeks ago. Uh, but the Lakers blazers, which went seven games has the infamous meltdown, uh, in the fourth quarter for the blazers. Uh, when they would have won the game. Um, I, I want to hit on that series for a second. Obviously, it's not about the Pacers, but I don't care. It's a great series. Uh, I think it would be disrespectful to not hit on it. Um, so, like, when you're just going back and looking at that team and looking at, at that uh, that series, what, what, what does it kind of bring back up for you? Man, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I was, I was going to almost use profanity. During the rest of the series, <laughs> game seven is where it's at. Look, game so. For that game in particular, you know, like there's, I've told the story on Dunst Discourse. I'm not going to go into it, you know, like yeah, at length here. But that was a game that I was actually supposed to be at. Uh, that circ, you know, for, you know, for whatever, you know, whatever reason, the circumstances presented themselves that I not only did I not you know, was I not able to make it to the game, but I was late. You know, like, in LA traffic, 
uh, for anybody that's you know, that, that's familiar with the Los Angeles area, we've always had, well, they've always had it because I, I no longer live there now. But yes, I, I was raised there and I, you know, I did live there for a majority of my life. Um, you know, so I get stuck in traffic. I make it back. I, I actually start watching that game in, in the third quarter. Uh, oh, wow. at, at the at the time when they're when at the time when when I catch up to the action, it's you know it's a back and forth. It's like an eight point game, seven point game. You know, back and forth, back and forth. But then by the end of the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the you know the stats in front of me. I think they I think they had pushed it out to a double digit. You know, they being the yeah, Blazers. I believe the I believe the Trailblazers are up sixteen at the end of the third quarter, something like that. Maybe a little makes, bit more. I can't remember. Makes total sense. When the Lakers turn, you know, flip that switch in the fourth quarter, and that's the only thing that I can describe it as because it wasn't like, you know, there are now Blazers fans that will say like, oh, man, you know, like the officiating. Go back and watch the action. They missed like 14 out of 16, you know, you know shots. This wasn't a matter of like, you know, like the officials taking them, you know, taking them out of it. It was, you know, they went cold, you know, much like, you know, we saw with Houston a couple years ago. They went cold at the same time as the Lakers flipped the switch and started making everything. Brian Shaw was hitting everything from the corner. Robert Ory was hitting. He was hitting threes. Kobe was slicing them up. You know, finding shacks. You know, not just on the lob. You know, like you know, all the way throughout. It was. It, it was just. It, so for me, clearly, it brings up the excitement of that fourth quarter run because it's one of the greatest fourth quarters that I've seen. Not just because I'm a Lakers fan, but also because I'm a basketball junkie that has watched a whole lot of it over the last thirty, you know, thirty plus years. Yeah, exactly. And I, so I was, uh, I, I was watching that series for the first time. Um, I believe it was probably two or three weeks ago. It was before Howard's article came out. Um, and it was crazy to me watching that team because I, I, I try and pride myself on being a bit of a basketball historian. I'm that, that person who, uh, if I'm not doing anything, I'm just going on basketball reference or, uh, going back and watch film. Cause I want to know, you know, like, what was this player like? How did they, how did they score? Why couldn't they score sometimes? What made them good? What didn't make them good? Um, so, like, going back and looking at that team, that is maybe one of the deepest teams I've ever seen. And that is, like, not even to uh, – I mean, it, it sounds it's, – you know, it's easy to say something like like that, that that comes off a little cliche. But, I mean, you look at that team, you know, like Steve Smith, obviously he's a little bit older. A lot of the guys are kind of more veteran. But, um, I mean, Steve Smith, Scottie Pippen, Sabonis, uh, Rashid, well, he's still really young and, and entering his prime a little bit. Um, Bonzi Wells off the bench. Who I mean, Bonzi Wells was a beast back then. Um I mean, that whole team was just so stacked. You have Greg Anthony as their backup point guard. Could have been a starter on a couple teams. Damon Stoudemire. I mean, mm -hmm. they had legitimately two starting lineups almost on that team. Uh, and young Jermaine O'Neal for us Pacer fans. Uh, mm -hmm. Factors in later, which is actually awesome to talk about. Um, but, I mean, they, yeah, that team was just crazy. They, they had so many wings. Like, Steve Smith, he's totally forgotten about from the 90s. Um, Obviously, it's easy for me to say. I mean, I was born in 1997, but just going back and looking at him, watching him play, I mean, that dude was was phenomenal, but there were so many other good wings. Uh, he's not somebody you heard talked about a lot, at least now, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, he's he wasn't a flashy guy, but he was a classy guy. He was a guy that, you know, he you know, he got it. He simply got it done. You know, he, mm -hmm. he, he could score from the wing. Uh, you know, later on in his career, you, you know, he had that back to the basket kind of turnaround, you know, turnaround fade from the baseline, especially, or pivot, you know, pivot and, and work the footwork, you know, to, you know, to get to the, you know, to get closer to the bucket. Steve Smith was nice. I'm going to tell you the truth. If that, you know, the late, it oftentimes, and, and I'm sure you've seen this, a certain run or you know, a certain matchup is about timing. Mm -hmm. The Lakers came in, a majority of their guys were in their prime. A majority of their core was in their prime. A lot of the guys on the exterior, yes, you know, they may have been veteran. You know, they may have been vets. Like Ron Harper was on that team. You know, if I'm not mistaken, either, either A.C. Grant or, or, or A.C. Green or Horace Grant was on that team. Horace Grant might have been on the team uh, next, Green, next year, but A.C. was on that team. John Sally was on that team. But other than those guys, a majority of the Lakers were you know, on the rise or directly in their prime. With that Portland team, while yes, they did have two teams, they did essentially have two lineups, and yes, they had all types of you know, like you know names on that team. The Lakers are fortunate, even though they you know they beat them in a seven game series, that that team was kind of spread out. They had, as you as you alluded to, they they had you know some of the older guys like you know Sabonis was old, was older by then, Pippen was older by then, um, uh, Steve Smith you know was still effective, and these guys were still effective players, but they were a little bit older. Then you also had a lot of guys that were just not quite there yet. You know, Bonzi Wells was very effective, yes. Damon Stoudemire was, you know, Stoudemire was very effective, yes. But Jermaine O'Neal wasn't there yet. 
Rasheed Wallace, while he was a great player, he was still he was still at, at the point in his career when he was you know still getting you know, you know still having to, you know uh, behavioral issues that would you know that, that would limit his <laughs> yeah. effectiveness. You know what I'm I mean? Saying? They were called the Joe Blazers for a reason. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. So I, I honestly think that you know had that series, you know. There's no magical way to make you know the older guys younger and the or the younger guys older. But say that you know say say this were like two years older, you know two years prior, right? And and uh, you know in a hypothetical world, and some of those younger guys had a little bit more season, and that might have been a different series. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it, it it was that it was it was that highly contested, and honestly, it it really it really was a testament to like you know the, the styles of the certain teams you know making the fight, and that was a great fight. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, totally just to kind of hit on what you were saying about the Lakers and their seasoning. um, I think, you know, just obviously this is more of a Pacers forward podcast and I'm, I'm, I'm a Pacers fan, but first and foremost, I'm a basketball fan and I want to tell the truth about stuff. Um, I think oftentimes uh, not just Indiana fans, but people in general remember this finals um, for, for Kobe not playing particularly well. Uh, I want to remind people he suffers an ankle injury that was pretty significant. Uh, it knocks him out for part of the series. And also, I mean, this is like his first – I mean, he, he'd started already, but this is like his first real kind of season of being Kobe. You know, he's not quite there yet. But, I mean, at the same time, I mean, he's still he, – he still has hair at this point. You know, this is – so that for <laughs> me, that's a, it's a totally different – totally different environment. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, – when when you start getting into the series and looking at at the finals, uh, what really pops off for me is just Shaq and how crazy dominant of a one man force he was. And as good as this team was as a whole, um, I think you know you know going back and 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 trying to look through everything. And I mean, I've watched. I grew up watching LeBron. I'm from Cleveland, I, I so I, I've seen LeBron my entire lifetime. And witnessed his his rise up, and um, going back and watching Jordan, um, watching Kareem, watching you know all of the great players, but but watching Shaq in this 2000 Finals run, and and in the playoffs leading up to that, um, I don't think I've seen a single more unguardable and more devastating player. Like when when Shaq is coming down the lane, and uh, Kobe fires up fires up a shot, or somebody fires up a shot. And you know it's not going to go in, it, and it hits the backboard. You, I just picture that that scene from season one of The Wire when Omar's coming in for the first time to the projects, and everybody starts yelling out, "Omar's coming! Omar's coming!" <laughs> and that's that's exactly what I picture when when Rick Smiths is trying to box somebody out. Oh, <laughs> Shaq's coming down the lane, man! Like that's the he averaged thirty eight and seventeen for the series, like. 38 and 17 in a, in a time when the pace was slower. I mean, it, it was just unreal, man, to, to go back and watch that. My, my, my guy, I'm going to be honest with you. I watched it in real time, and I can tell you there was no way. There just was no answer for that guy. And, and, and there's a reason why. And this is no shade whatsoever to Steph because I'm glad that he got the unanimous MVP and we, and we can stop having the you know, conversation of there's no, you know, never been one. But Chat should have gotten it that year. Like, he was that dominant there simply was no answer you know like if, if we're going to avengers when they say you know we you know we have a hulk well yeah we had a shack and, <laughs> and, and there just wasn't anything that could be done um and and, that, and you know it, it wasn't like he was going to get some slouches <laughs> you, know, you, you know the front you know the pacers front line you know, you know was solid and you know still had smiths and he you know, look when it came to you know when it came down to the you know the finals for that entire you know that entire stretch run you know with that Lakers squad, but in particular for this one, that was the you know that was the height of basketball for me as well. I like mm-hmm. I had never seen, and of course I watched Jordan play. That's a different type of domination. We, you know, I'm referring to the exact type of domination that you saw. Just a, you know, just a total physical, you know, force. Just an absolute, you know, brute force out there. I, I had, I've never seen anything like that. I had never seen anything like that prior to it, and I've never seen it since. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's not like saying, you know, domination is not the same thing as, uh, as being the best or whatever. And I'm, I'm not really that kind of person who's like obsessed with the, you know, goat status or whatever. I think we should just mm-hmm. enjoy players for, for what they do and. Uh, try and respect them that way. But, you know, when looking at dominance, I mean, Michael Jordan, what he did could be slowed down or mitigated. And the same thing with LeBron. Like, perimeter players, guys can can guard him a little bit. With But with Shaq, like, 
there just was no way. Like there was no way, man. I mean, that's, it's just totally different. I mean, uh, for somebody that big to be that fast and that strong, be able to jump that high is just, uh, outrageous. Like that, that's the only word I have for it. Yeah. You know, it, and, it, and it's funny because he put in work against, uh, you know, in that, in that series, but the series where I really, and I'm, of course I'm not going to take it here, but the series where I really felt sorry for the opponent was the following year against the Kimbe. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to go back I, and watch. I have watched that actually. The the O yeah. one finals is Todd oh. McCullough's poor, oh, that the poor lifeless body of Todd McCullough. Um, he gets <laughs> just mercied, mercied in that series, man. You know, oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm thinking the wrong one. I'm thinking about 2002. That's 2001 against the Kembe, but mm-hmm. it's even worse against the Nets in 02. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it, it was just embarrassing. But, yeah, but, the, but that, that is exactly the case. You know, there really wasn't, from a physical sta- you know, standpoint, there wasn't an answer for Shaq. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, going right into game one, uh, a one, 104 to 87, uh, just kind of obliteration by the Lakers. I mean, Shaq puts up 43 and 19. Uh, but this game is highlighted for Reggie having like probably the worst playoff performance of his performance of his career. Uh, one for 16 from the floor doesn't score until the second quarter. And that's the only bucket he scores, um, which is, it's a tough scene for my guy. Uh, it, but overall, I mean, it's just a tough scene in general. That's, I mean, I think Reggie was really overtaxed on this team. I mean, uh, it, you know, SB Nation, we did a site-wide thing a couple of weeks ago talking about the greatest teams to, uh, to, to never win a finals. And I think it's been pretty well talked about, at least among Pacers fans, um, that this was probably not our best team ever. And the best team was the 98 team that lost to the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, that team was way more loaded offensively. And while this team was good offensively, um, they did not nearly have the firepower of the 98 team. This team was a little bit older. Um, I mean, Rick Smith's, I believe, is 32 or 33 at this time. Reggie's probably 33. Um, the, the whole team's just older in general. I mean, Jalen Rose is the only really youthful guy in that starting lineup. Dale Davis is probably 29 or 30 already at this point. Um, so there's just not like a lot of uh, individual superpower or like stardom. I mean, because Reggie's, Reggie's not a guy who's going to create his own shot. I mean, he kind of can through his own movement. Uh, but it's just a different kind of offense compared to what Kobe or Shaq was going to do. Yeah, and and you know, forgive me, it, it spaced out again because of my you know shoddy internet connection here. You know, during the middle of that, but I I think I caught the gist of it. Um, yeah, and, and you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that. You're, you're right; they were the older squad. Lakers were the younger and, and up, uh, upcoming team. Excuse me, you know, easy for me to say. Um, you know, I can't even necessarily fault Reggie for the, you know for that one for sixteen to start off. I mean, like you like you mentioned, it was his very first his very first you know finals action. And the one of the things that I that I always try to you know, to remind folks of or let folks know that may not have seen you know young Kobe play. While yes, we you know at, toward the end of his career, especially in the, in the back half of his career, you know he's an assassin, scored all of that Mamba mentality. I, I get it, but people forget this guy was an all world defensive player as well. Like, like in this series, it might, it might not, uh, I, I hate to say it, it might not have gone six if he doesn't get hurt in the in game two. No, I agree. I think that's something I would totally agree with. Um, Cause he, he guards Reggie so damn well. And uh, the way that, I mean, he fights over screens incredibly. Um, he just makes it a living uh, nightmare for Reggie the entire series when he's playing. Um, and if he, yeah, I agree. If he doesn't hurt his ankle, I believe it's in game two, he hurts his ankle. Um, yeah. Jalen put it. Jalen put his foot underneath him. Yep, and actually, Jalen just talked about recently about how he did that on purpose. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to exactly claim that one as something I'm excited about. I always want like the best competition possible. But yeah, I agree. It probably does not go six uh, with a fully healthy Kobe. Um, but then it's interesting too, looking at uh, you know going into game two, a uh, much closer game. But obviously, you know, I think Kobe only played 15 minutes. Might have been a little bit less than that even. Uh, but it's, it's crazy. I have this written down in my notes. Shaq gets to the line 39 times in this game. Like that is absurd, man. Like some of the games that we'll see now, uh, teams don't even combine for 39 times to the line. So to see one guy get to the line 39 times, is just, uh, uh, it's, it's another sign of the times of how, how, how darn good Shaq was. Well, not only that, let's be real. Shaq was a 50%, uh, you know, you know, lifelong, your career-long yeah. 50% free throw shooter. At that point, it truly was a better option. 
Like, because, mm-hmm. because yeah. when he got set up with, you know, with especially with a foot inside the key, if the foot was inside the key, it was over. It was either drop step or, you know, or, or power drop step baseline or just, you know, bull, bull rush, you know, towards the middle. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it, it's not shocking. It, it's surprising now because, yeah, you, you, you're right. You don't see that anymore. But back then, especially during his heyday, hack it, look, there's a reason why it, it was glossed, the hack shack It's because teams finally just said, okay, look, I'm just not I'm not going to deal with this guy. Just foul him. Yeah, I think, like, the next time that, that I can remember seeing it in playoffs uh, is uh, actually the Lakers again uh, playing the, the Magic in 2009. They just hacked the crap out of uh-huh. Dwight. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's just one of the things that I definitely want to talk about for a sec. Um, I think there's always, you know, NBA Twitter is a total, you know, toxic wasteland of, of bad, <laughs> uh, bad thoughts and ideas. Um, but one of the ones that most insults me is the, the idea that Shaq wasn't skilled or something like that. And, you know, it's the same thing that gets brought up with Giannis. So like, uh, people will make claims that, you know, it's just cause they're athletic, um, I implore people to watch this series because as much as, you know, I'm not the biggest Rick Smith fan because I think, you know, sometimes he gets uh, remembered as being a, a little bit better than he was. And, you know, we can kind of forget about how good other guys were. Um, mm-hmm. Like for instance, somebody told me that he should be, uh, he should have his Jersey retired over Jermaine O'Neal's. That's just crazy to me. Um, but my point is, I mean, Rick Smith was actually a decent defensive option, you know, as good as you're going to get against Shaq. Cause he had, you know, the height and length to give him some, some kind of barrier, uh, but Shaq in in game one he hits like six or seven, uh, you know, turnaround hooks that that you know you do, you're not it's not it's not just some incredibly easy shot to hit. And he had a really really solid post game. Obviously, he's not hitting anything outside ten feet, but you know, to have that kind of footwork and post game that he had was was definitely skill oriented. I would implore anybody that that thinks that Shaq is all about brute force, even though admittedly I'm guilty of of making it sound that way at least initially, because that was the part that I really liked. But I would implore anybody that's that that thinks that or maybe isn't as familiar with his actual game, go back and watch his, his games in Orlando. Whether it's a, a full highlight package or if you can catch a full game, you know, watch all basically his entire Lakers Lakers career as well, outside of 2003 when you know. Uh, for anybody that's not aware, that was when uh, he, he he was he earned the uh, the name Company Time because rather than getting a surgery done in the off season, he came back and said, "Hey, look, if I got hurt on Company Time, I'm going to get better on Company Time as well." But yeah, outside of that year, uh, you know, Shaq was showing all types of stuff that you just simply wouldn't expect out of a guy that was 300 plus. Yeah, exactly. Um, and <laughs> you know, just looking at this entire series. Um, it's so hard to not just think about what maybe could have been for the Pacers a little bit. Um, in obviously in game one, if Reggie maybe even hits half of his shots, it's way closer. Uh, game two, I believe the Pacers blow a small lead. Um, and Jalen Rose actually plays the full 48 minutes in that game, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. I can't remember. I mean, obviously that happens. LeBron does that uh, regularly in the playoffs. Um, game three, the Pacers are able to actually steal one, but that's because Kobe's out. Um, and then in game four, the real heartbreaker, uh, because Indiana loses in overtime to, to, to LA. Um, and that one was definitely after a blown lead, which is, uh, another <laughs> obviously tough one to see. Uh, Jalen Rose just has like the worst game possible. It was like five for 16 from the field. Um, Reggie is finally playing well. Uh, but it, it just, it still doesn't matter because, uh, Kobe is able to find a way to play back. He comes back after being out for, you know, almost two full games and puts up 28. I mean, uh, it's just the way to put it is almost like no matter how good the Pacers are going to be, the Lakers are going to be just that much better. Yeah, and, and, and the insult to injury on that one is the fact that, you know, Shaq actually fouls out that overtime. <laughs> and 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 it and that was Kobe Bryant's coming out party. So he was introduced to the world, you know, for, with the four air balls as a rookie. And everybody like it, it's funny because people laugh at that. And it's like, no, no, no. What y'all don't understand is, no, that is somebody that is a killer. Like he, the fact that he took the second one and the third one and the fourth one. Trust me, they'll work out. They'll work out going in later on. But this was his coming out party. Shaq fouls out. It's a it's a hotly contested game. Obviously, you know, it, 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 it's down to the wire. You know, uh, crossover up top, crossover, crossover, right over, you know, right over Reggie. 
gets the ball the next, you know, the next time down, a couple quick dribbles. You know, I think it was right over Mark Jackson. You know, the next, you know, the, one of the, you know, down the stretch, you know, somebody drives in, throws it off the backboard. He catches, you know, he, you know, he grabs it, put back. That's game over. And again, the, like, like I'm, I'm one for the, you know, while I'm, I, I will poo-poo it and make fun of it at times, you know, some of, you know, some, you know, some of the nostalgia. I'm also one that's here for the history. And that right there was his coming out. Yeah. Yeah. It, he, uh, and it's crazy to think about him still being injured too, because his, I mean, if I remember correctly, his his ankle swelled up pretty good after the the game that he was injured and was a significant sprain. Um, so to come back and be, being able to play on that was was remarkable. And he still did not shoot well at all, but you can just tell watching him. I saying mama mentality is you know it's easy to. I feel like everybody can, can throw out a mama mentality every once in a while, but I mean you can just tell. I mean he still only goes he goes four for twenty in the next game, but he's still such an impactful player on the court because of everything else he's doing. I mean, you look at that team, and he's pretty much the de facto point guard. I mean, Ron Harper was technically – I think Ron Harper was the one listed as the point guard that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, same thing as when he was in, in Chicago. I mean, he's not the guy who's running sets. He's just – he's guarding the ones a lot of times. Um, and I think, yeah, he was the – I believe the leading uh, leading assist man on the team, and I think he only had like four and a half assists per game. But my point is, I mean, Kobe was doing – everything with the ball for the Lakers. Yeah, he, he was initiated. And the thing, and that's the thing that, that, that makes it so funny because these days, for instance, uh, like when, if I were to say, like, say I were to say on the timeline, oh, he was the Pippen. People would say that's a pejorative. Oh, that's disrespectful. It's like, no, 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 no. What you don't understand is being a Pippen is an incredible skill. Being mm-hmm. a Pippen doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have number one capabilities. It means that you're willing to to play your role in support of the number one. And while Kobe was still young, obviously at this time, so it wasn't it, it wasn't his time to be Batman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, by the next year, he it, it was obvious. It was like, oh no, no, okay, he's that. He absolutely is that, but he's still willing to, you know, kind of subjugate his game. One of the questions I really want to ask you is what are your thoughts on Reggie uh, kind of all time? Because, I, you know, I wrote an article about it, uh, gosh, probably about a month ago now already because um, Perkins had that uh, – I shouldn't say his full name. Kendrick Perkins. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's like the boogeyman. I feel like if I say Kendrick Perkins' full name, he's going to appear in my closet or something. But uh, Don't say it three straight times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, the, the new Candyman trailer looks awesome, by the way. Um, it does. But, my, yeah. I mean, Kendrick Perkins said something about basically that he thinks Clay Thompson was a better is a better player than Reggie Miller ever was. I wrote an article explaining how that was, was crap. Um, but my, my yeah, to get my bias take out of the way, what's your, what are your thoughts on Reggie Miller as, a, as an all time player in, in his time with the Pacers? Reggie is obviously nice, and here's the thing that people need to be able to differentiate: you, like just because you don't like somebody as a personality. You know, just because you don't like their analysis, speaking generally, not you, um, you know, like, like doesn't necessarily mean that we have to go back and retroactively, you know, reassign, you know, like you know, what, what, what was the reality of their career. Reggie was nice, man. And, and look, I don't want to, I, I hate sometimes comparing players from different eras, for one, because mm-hmm. the game is different. Two, because Clay Thompson's role on his specific team is significantly different than what Reggie's role on, you know, for, you know, for, his, you know, for the duration of his career, uh, you know, at least at the very least a majority of it. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to actually, you know, actually have that conversation, you know, and, and have it be a genuine conversation. That said, Reggie Miller is an all-time great. He's very clearly a Hall, you know, obviously he's already in a Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame player. So is Clay Thompson. Um, if I'm saying as an individual player, like as their one guy, as the one, as the man, quote unquote, on the team, well, then Reggie has already shown me that he can do that. Now, I don't know that Clay can do it. All I know is he, you know, he fulfills a specific role. He'll still be in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, all-time, Reggie. Yeah, I, I totally agree, man. And, um, uh, one of my favorite things to to, to bring up is, uh, you know, people are always like, well, Reggie was only a five-time All-Star. And I'm like, well, technically should have been six uh, because in uh, – actually, I just found this out when I, I did a podcast with uh, – I don't know if you know Chris Herring. He, he works for mm-hmm. 538. I did a podcast with him on uh, on the New York Knicks uh, and the, the Knicks Pacers series. And in, I, in my research, I found out in 1998-99, there were no All-Stars because of the lockout, lockout. season. Which was crazy to me. I was like, okay, so Reggie was a six-time All-Star. Uh, but <laughs> not exactly how it works, but I mean, he, just, he had a great season. Um, 
but it, you know, it's just, uh, I, I, a, I think all-stars are a terrible way to, to gauge things uh, when looking at guys. I mean, obviously all-stars are great, but you know, there have been so many cases of, of guys who should have gotten in, in, in an all-star vote that, that didn't and voting and you know, what you're basing things on are so arbitrary because it's so different between each person. Um, and I think sometimes we value winning a little bit too much because winning is a lot more team driven than it is individual driven, uh, at least in my opinion. It, it um, absolutely. Yeah. It absolutely. Let, 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 let me throw one, one this out here for you based on what you, what you just said. You're a hundred percent right. And the funniest thing about it is if, and, and, and you'll, you'll notice this if you pay attention to you know, the NBA Twitter, the folks that oftentimes lean too heavily on stats, they annoy me, just like the folks that lean too heavily on the eyeball test. Those guys know me. But the funny thing here is the folks that tend to lean on the eyeball test are the ones that oftentimes are, you know, when it comes to someone's legacy, they want to mention all of the, like, all of the accolades, like, oh, yep. he only has five. He only has, you know, the, you know whatever. But my thing is, is I, I think in order to truly assess basketball, you have to be able to do both. You don't, necessarily, you don't have to be, you know how to play. You don't, have, you don't have to be able to physically do the things, but you have to be able to you know, you know, have, have a firm understanding of both the eyeball test as well as, you know, what you're seeing from a, you know, from a statistical or, or analytic you know, standpoint. Um, you know, so, yeah, no, it, when, it, when, it, when it comes to, when it comes to comparing, you know, the, the you know, accolades of guys, you're right. You know, you can be an incredible player. Carmelo Anthony is going to be a Hall of Famer without question, but you'll have people that will get on there and say, oh, well, you know, you never won. So I don't care if you think he was a selfish player. I don't care what you, know, <laughs> you know, what your opinions are. If you weren't able to look at Carmelo Anthony play, and this is not enough against somebody that didn't, wasn't able to watch him, but if you watched him play, you know that he played at a Hall of Fame level. Oh yeah, I mean, like Denver, Denver Carmelo Anthony was amazing, mm-hmm. um, and early Knicks was really, really good player too. And I, I think a lot of the issue when you're looking at a guy like Carmelo Anthony is just uh, the team structure around him was always kind of confusing. You know, I mean, uh, especially looking at the Knicks after the the twelve thirteen season, I believe. I mean, part of it's because of Mari's injuries, um, but also, I mean, the the front office just did not do a good job surrounding him with guys and and you can always make the argument maybe you should have been playing the four earlier in his career um but it was nice to see him get a chance to come back in the league this year and i i, I um i think there's still a place for moving forward uh probably more of a bench role i, I would say i think I, I don't know what your opinions were on him this year but i thought that he was uh it was <laughs> i think the stats were nice but some of the things that uh that are, are he's not good at were definitely uh, definitely highlighted in Portland this year. Um, his defense was oh my god, man, it was atrocious this year. Yeah, like there there was a stretch of his career early on where he had the ability to. Then oh there yeah. Was a, then there was a stretch where he had the ability to, but he was focusing mo- mostly on the offensive end. He doesn't even have that now. So yeah, no, he, he he he's not he you know he's no longer quote unquote mellow. But you're, I agree with you. He can still be effective. If he's willing to accept the role that it seemed as though he was, you know, he was doing there in Portland, um, I, I hope moving forward, you know, he does get one more run out of this because I, I honestly think, you know, it, I think I think you know he's going to be in the bubble here and and they're, and they're just going to go home, um, you know. But yeah, you know, ultimately, I don't even like I said, I, I keep on taking you off in tangents. You know, no, no, you're good, man. Hey, I like the tangents. If, uh... Basically, as though I want to, I, I want to romanticize, uh, you know, the yesteryear of, of the NBA. No, I'm, you, I'm all about it. I thought you were talking to me about Shaq and Kobe. It, it brings me to this to this place. Hey, I'll t- I'll talk I'll talk about Melo in Denver any day. Um, but you know, so actually talking about things that are a little bit disappointing. Um, looking at this uh, this series, uh, kind of the fallout for me is is what's interesting because this for you know for it's it's really cool looking at the two teams because well not cool for the Pacers, um, but looking at the Lakers, I mean this issues in that entire kind of dynasty. I mean, like we talked about Shaq and Kobe have been together for, for a while, but this is when they finally start kind of hitting their primes together. Um, and Kobe really starts to grow into that superstar role. And this is what leads to three straight championships. Um, and then for the Pacers, this kind of leads to a, a rebranding of the team a little bit. This is Reggie's last real year um, mm-hmm. as a quote unquote star. Um, I mean, he's already like, like, like I said, he's already kind of old at this point uh, on the downturn of his career. And he, t- he takes more of a backseat role because in the next season uh, is when the Pacers trade Dale Davis to the, to the trailblazers for Jermaine O'Neal. Um, 
and Jermaine becomes most improved player the next season. And then after that, he uh, becomes an all-star and an MVP candidate the year after, uh, which is crazy to think about. Um, actually, on, a, on another tangent, Jermaine O'Neal in his, uh, the year he went uh, third in MVP voting, I believe, in, uh, in 02-03, or it was 03-04, um, and he had a 36% usage percentage. Uh, which can you even imagine that today? Somebody pounding it in the block for 36% of the time that the ball's on the court. Like that is, I mean, that, that he's on the court. That was, it's just, I saw that stat a couple weeks ago and that was just one of the craziest things I've ever read. Um, I re- I remember that era. And to be honest with you, I can believe that. I, I can yeah. believe that he was. And, and it, it isn't like he wasn't effective because he was obviously a highly effective player. But there were a lot of – let's just say there were a lot of possessions where he would get the ball at 14 seconds or 15 seconds and kind of, you know, dribble it, dribble it, back it, back it, and, you know, figure it, you know, figure yep. it out from there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can believe that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely definitely a different era, man. Definitely a different era. Um, but you know, I actually I, I mentioned this one to you uh, when we before we were were coming on to talk. Uh, the Austin Crozier contract is still just uh, obviously you know I didn't I didn't have to fully witness it because I was three when it was signed. Uh, but the problem was that it lasted until I was ten. And Austin Crozier, who actually, you know, he played really well in this series. We didn't really talk about him at all. But uh, he coming off the bench, put up 15 and 6, was probably the Pacers' third best or at least third most consistent player behind Jalen and Reggie. Um, and was, you know, 55% from the floor and 40% from three. And, you know, he, he's 24 this time. He looks like a guy who maybe he's going to grow into a guy who could be a potential starter. Um, never happens. And he plays off the bench his entire career pretty much after signing a seven-year, $51 million deal, which at the time is massive. I mean, I, obviously, I don't know the cap super well, um, at least from that time. I know it decently now. But, uh, I mean, looking at the, the decision in 2011 with LeBron, the cap at that time is $58 million. So mm. we're looking at seven years, $51 million in 2000 is a lot of freaking money. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. It, it's a it's a deal where, and for the record, I'm always a get you money man. You know, mm-hmm. deal get yeah keep. I'm, I'm gonna keep getting them checks all star. But that was a crazy deal, and it, you know, it, there's a reason why the league, you know, the, why ultimately they ended up having to say, yeah, we're not doing seven year deals anymore. In fact, we're not doing anything beyond the five year deal. Um, and and. Part of, part of it is is similar to the, you know the league having to implement uh, the you know the one and done rule. Where it's basically saving its, you know, saving its GMs from themselves. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it just that simple. Yeah, I never. Uh, that, that's you know, it's it's a tough one. I mean, Donnie Walsh was a really great GM, uh, mm-hmm. but that 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 one just uh, it, it stings a little bit looking at that one because if you look down the line, um, I you know one I'm trying to remember which year it is. I think it's o two o three. Brad Miller was part of the Pacers as well, and he mm-hmm. obviously turned into a really solid player. Uh, borderline all-star was an all-star, I think, twice. Um, but in the year that he leaves for Sacramento, um, he could have been the set starting center for the, for the next year's team instead of Jeff Foster. Um, if Austin Crozier's deal is not in the books, Brad Miller would have been affordable for the, for the Pacers to stay around in Indiana, which would have been huge. Um, playing the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals the next year. Maybe ends up being a title team, uh, but, you know, that, that's not what happens. Um, and then also, you know, looking at this team, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, obviously I have a, a better feel for the, the Pacers roster a little bit, but I actually was asking questions about Glenn Rice a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've enjoyed going back and watching his film. He was a really nice player who never gets talked about, um, but not for the Lakers. Um, which, you know, it's, it's funny because I was going back and, and, and in prepping for this, I was reading some of the articles, and it seems like pretty much from the time that, that Glenn Rice became a Laker to the time that he was out of a Laker uniform, uh, nobody wanted him to be there. Uh, you know, you can't say nobody, but there was a pretty general discourse, it seems like, looking at you know, all the newspaper articles that were out and um, general talk at the time, it seems like uh, Glenn Rice was not a super well-liked uh, Laker. And you know that what's interesting about it is it, it reminds me of the you know the situation with Chris Boss, where it's the reason why Chris Boss will go down as mm-hmm. one of the more underrated players of the last like twenty years. 
he'll get you know, like he'll get his just due, and he, I do believe that he'll eventually make it into the Hall of Fame. You know, like he'll be a Hall of Fame player and all of that. But um, and if he if he made it this year, you know, your listeners are going to say like, what the hell? This guy doesn't even know that. Forgive me. <laughs> he did not. I don't think. Okay. I, I don't believe so either. But no, um, it's because it's it. We didn't have. We don't have an appreci- enough of an appreciation for what it's like to go from being the man to then not just being a, a part of it, being the third option. You know what I'm saying? Like it, 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 it's something. It's one thing to go join one other guy, or you know, join join another group and be the second best. If all of a sudden you've gone from being an all star, you know, you've been the you've been the you know the guy of your team for you know several seasons. You've even been an all star MVP, and then you say that you know you you come around the Shaq and Kobe. Shaq is Shaq. And Kobe's twenty, you know, twenty years old, twenty-one years old, looking at you like, yeah, that's right. Get to the back of the bus. That's how it's working. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand how that might not necessarily be the easiest, of, easiest of transitions. Now, I don't want to make it sound like Glenn Rice didn't contribute to that, you know, to that title because he certainly did. But in terms of overall impact, I can assure you a lot. You know, any of us that were watching back then when they first got him thought, oh well, hey, this this is definitely, you know, we didn't know what we didn't call it a big three at the time, but we definitely looked at it as like, oh. Like, Watch out! This is this is a big three. Uh, if if you did your googles, you'll also know that his um he and his wife, he being Glenn Rice and his wife, basically talked themselves off of that team. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They got um it it there was there was uh, if memory serves properly, there was you know some back and forth uh, from you know from both of them regarding the organization. And, and 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 kind of kind of chirping in ways where the third option, you know, simply when you're on a team with Shaq and Kobe, you're not going to be accepted. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I did not know that. That's kind of crazy. Um, if I can find the article, I'll, I'll find an article on it. I'll send it to you. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. I'd love to read that. Um, it's uh, it's funny too because one of the questions I wanted to ask you off this, um, actually two things. The first one, uh, the fact that this series won six games and Glenn Rice who. Uh, he doesn't get talked about it, uh, but is almost definitely one of the best shooters of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I mean, just for reference, obviously the line was shortened in the season that he did it, but he shot 48% from three. He's shooting like six or seven a game in 1997, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I mean, that that speaks volumes on its own. Uh, but, I mean, he was just an incredible shooter. His stroke was amazing. His mechanics were amazing. Just incredibly fluid. But he shot 19 threes for the entire series. And the, the Pacers just completely laid off of him, which was nuts. I mean, he, I think he went 12 and 19 for the whole series from three. Um, so to me, that, that's just like the, one of the most remarkable things watching. Obviously, you know, you, you got to take into, in, into account the context of, of back then uh, and how different the game was. But like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to remember. His, yeah, Bob Costas is talking about uh, Glenn Rice hitting a three and how crazy it is. And I'm like, dude, Glenn Rice should be taking 11 a game with how much the Pacers are laying off. I'm like, it's, it's nuts to watch that and think about it. Look, I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll, t- I'll do you one even crazier. When I was watching as a child, maybe a team shot three or four a night sometimes. Wow. Like three or four a night at times. Yeah. And it got, it crept up to like 10. And there were certainly teams, and, and, and I'm speaking of the 80s, there were certainly teams like uh, the, the late 80s Nuggets and, and other teams that they would jack them up a little bit more. But for the most part, it simply wasn't a weapon. And it you know, clearly wasn't nearly as much of a weapon as, you know, as we're accustomed to now. Uh, yeah, it, it's absolutely crazy to think, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, you said he went 12 for 19 in the series and yeah. didn't shoot. If, if you have Glenn Rice out there open that you know, you know, you know that freely, and he's twelve for nineteen, it actually does. You know, regardless of regardless of the era, it doesn't make sense that he didn't shoot at least fifty in the series. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And like for folks listening who have not uh, seen the finals, I'm not just exaggerating how open he was. Like it's eight to ten feet laid off of him at times because I mean, obviously you have to. Shaq, Shaq was getting double teamed, so when when it starts off. Uh, Dale Davis draws the assignment, which props to Dale. I love Dale Davis, one of my favorite Pacers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dale was no match for Shaq. No. Um, I mean, Dale was probably 6'10", six, 6 six eleven, um, but pretty lean. He was like 230. And so, I mean, him playing up against Shaq was just uh, – Shaq easily had probably 90 to 100 pounds on him. And so, I mean, starts off with Dale on him one-on-one. Smiths comes over as well. And then it, 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 he legitimately gets triple teamed. So, the, the amount of – 
gravity that Shaq had in the paint was, was nuts. Um, and, you know, so going off that as well with Glenn Rice, though, uh, I, I don't know everything surrounding it. I know uh, that there were some issues butting heads between Eddie Jones and, and, and Kobe. Um, but that was one of the questions I had for you. What, what do you think – how do you think things are different if, uh, if they find a way to keep Eddie Jones around as a Laker instead of trading him for, for Glenn Rice? I know there are other players involved, but largely um, it's, it's just Eddie Jones and Glenn Rice in that deal. I know Eldon Campbell was traded as well, but none of the other guys who uh, who were brought over from Charlotte stuck around. Um, but, I mean, Eddie Jones, when just looking at him, I mean, he was obviously a much better defensive player than Glenn. Um, pretty similar as a shooter. Not, not as good. I mean, the volume isn't, isn't there. Um, but he, you could also argue his prime was probably a little bit more extended than Glenn's because Glenn starts to fall off a little bit uh, athletically, and Eddie still has a really good um, – next couple of years for, for how long the contract was. I believe his contract wasn't up until 02 or 03 um, and would, would have still fit with the Lakers, but th- that was my long winded way. Of just, you know, that's my, that's my question for you. No, I got you. Um, so no, I'm going to tell you the truth. If basketball were thought about in a more progressive way at that time, they probably do that. The truth of the matter is that there was no butting of heads with Kobe and, and Eddie Jones. Uh, Eddie Jones was just in his spot. And that is the and that's the problem. Had they had the foresight to recognize we can play both of these guys, you know, at the same time, they don't. You don't have to fit into a box, you know, necessarily. They, you know, that that I can tell you this. I would I would have had a heck of a lot more. Excuse me, for a heck of a lot more fun watching the run with Eddie Eddie in that. And I also think that Eddie doesn't get, uh, you know, doesn't you know doesn't get shipped the very next year if he, you know if he sticks around. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it's unfortunate, but. I, this that really was, and I, I was going to say a testament, but that really was a result of people thinking like, oh, okay, no, Eddie is a two guard and Kobe's a two guard, so you can't have that. Which is like now we look at that and was like that just sounds silly, but yeah. that was that was the line of thought at that point. Yeah, no, it's so crazy too because he's another guy. You know, I mean, there it's it's wild looking back at some of the the wing players who who don't get talked about from the nineties because that's you know it's not the era of the wing player necessarily. I mean, you got Michael and. Uh, and some other guys like, you know, I mean, obviously Reggie, uh, Clyde Drexler. I mean, there are some great dudes, but most of the time you're, you're talking about some of the big men who were so dominant. Um, but, I mean, Eddie Jones was so good. I mean, I, I watching his highlights and the Lakers teams uh, prior to, to Kobe are really fun to watch. I mean, they weren't great. They were like 50-win teams that would like uh, bottom out in the second round. But, like, I mean – Eddie was phenomenal. Young Shaq was there for a year before Kobe gets there, if I remember correctly. Um, and Cedric Sabalos is a guy who doesn't really get remembered either, but he was incredibly fun to watch too. I mean, just watching some of these guys back then. There, there are some guys. You know, you got to watch guys other than Shaq and and Hakeem and LeBron and, and MJ. There's there were some phenomenal players. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Um, you're, you're talking about my teenage years now, so I, you're, you're right there where I love to be. Um, just just to be sure, Shaq came the same year as Kobe. They, you know, oh, we did. Came, okay. Yeah, they both came. You know, the summer of '96. But those teams were so much fun. Nick Van Exel was the man. Yeah. Was, was at that point, Vlade was our you know, was our center. Eldon Campbell was power forward, backup center. Uh, you had Young Eddie out there running, doing things. Uh, yeah, the, those those teams were a heck of a lot of fun. And I, I'll be honest with you. While initially I was like, man, what are they doing when all of a sudden they started, you know, moving those pieces along in order to, in order to, you know, you know bring Shaq. Ultimately I was happy, but initially I'll be honest with you. I was like, wait a second, hold on. Like, <laughs> this is, this is our young core that, you know, because I had come up watching them and appreciating them mm-hmm. on the showtime. Clearly it worked out. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it worked out about as well as it can, man. Actually, I do have one last point to hit. Um, yeah. I would like to get your take as well. Obviously not as notable. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mark Jackson as a player? Uh, because, mm-hmm. uh, a, you know, trying to separate out the broadcast uh, mm-hmm. Mark Jackson, because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of broadcast Mark Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, but player Mark Jackson, he, he's one he's, – he's a guy who I always kind of get into it with, uh, with other Pacers uh, fans about. Because I think, you know, he was a good player. But I think people kind of remember him as a great player. And I, I just, you know, watching him, I, I don't I, – I, I personally don't see it. If there was ever a point in his career when he played great basketball, which, you know, like I, I'm going to be up front. You know, he wasn't a, a great player. He was, you know, but at his peak for me, he could be, you know, the Hall of Very Good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. 
and, and there's no knock in that. There's absolutely no knock. There's no shame. There's no shade, you know, none whatsoever. Because I actually like Mark Jackson. I've, you know, I've, I've obviously, you know, well, not obviously. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet him on several occasions. Great guy. His analysis on, on the games, not necessarily my favorite, but yeah. I, it, it doesn't, I don't allow it to, you know, end my, you know, end my world for the night, you know, when he's up there. Yeah. Uh, he was good. Um, I, w- I was trying to think of a comp that made, you know. I actually, I have one. Hunter so Miller, you know, like, like at, at one point, in it, it, especially in the second half of his career. But really, the best of Mark Jackson came as a Nick. Like, I get mm-hmm. why, you know, why Pacers fans, you know, love him because, you know, you made that finals run with him. But, you know, he was better when you, you know, younger in his career with the Knicks. Yeah, so it's it's funny. So, like, you know, when I it, now that I think about it, the way I phrase it, it made me sound like I'm, uh, I'm trying to hate on Mark Jackson. Uh, quite the contrary. I mean, I just think. For me, it's really important to to look at you know when we're when we're placing these guys in history, or more importantly, it's how they place themselves. You know how they play. Mm-hmm. It's all about to me just being fair and being honest. Because if you're trying to raise somebody else up, you're putting somebody else down. Um, and so when you look at somebody like Mark Jackson, to me, he's more like a guy like like looking now like uh, Ricky Rubio more than John Stockton. You know, I think sometimes people have a tendency to raise him up to that level because of his career assist numbers. Um, but I mean, he's he's like a rookie. Ah, I cannot. It's such a hard name to say. Uh, but I mean, very similar. Like he's not like a primary scorer, but he's a he's a phenomenal passer. Um, can play a little bit of defense. Um, you know, I think that's just that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah, and, it, there's no shame in that though. Like, and that's exactly. the thing. People, people, you know, people will get upset about that and, and say like, oh, well, no way. Yeah, that's there's nothing at all wrong with being an effective. Uh, an effective NBA level guy, meaning he was not just one of the, you know, one of the greats at his, you know, at his craft at that time, he was one of the best of those. So there's no, there's no shame in that. Definitely not. Um, Well, you know, in, in wrapping, uh, first of all, this was awesome. Jabari. I really appreciate it, man. Um, Pretty great to, I guess I can't say go down memory lane for me. It's kind of uh, instilling new memories that I didn't get to experience. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, what do you what do you got coming up this the rest of the week? Well, uh, first, let me thank you. I I really do appreciate the opportunity. It it like and I'm not just this isn't like Oscar speech moment. It's humbling. <laughs> it's it is humbling when folks reach out to me and want to talk basketball. Wait, you mean uh, Indy Cornrows isn't the Oscars? You know, it it might not be. It might be. Maybe it's just the Tonys. But either way, <laughs> and, and, and that's no shade to the Tonys. Uh, but either way, it's humbling. So I, I do appreciate the opportunity. Um, for me, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Dunks and Discourse, I have a great time on there with my guy, Josh Everly. Uh, this week, we've got, um, of course, all of the latest, you know, all the latest on the bubble uh, and, and any news that's coming up. But I think we're actually doing Westerns since 2000 and then Brad Pitt movies uh, for the weekend episode. So definitely look forward to that. Okay, that'll be awesome. I'm definitely going to be looking forward to listening to that getting back to you on it to all of you listening please go rate and review on apple podcasts and anywhere else you can get your podcasts at uh check out our articles on indycornrows.com and also go give josh and jabari a follow over at ducks and discourse i'm sure you will like their podcast i'm definitely a big fan Uh, and just have a great rest of your day stay safe out there and uh, be a good person